Hey guys, I'm excited to do a really great giveaway this month. This month's giveaway is the ESV Preaching Bible provided by Crossway. Created from the ground up with input from pastors and church leaders, the ESV Preaching Bible was designed with the preacher in mind. This edition features highly readable 10-point type in a single-column format, enlarged and boldened verse numbers to make it easy and to quickly locate verses on the page, extra-wide margins for notes, high-quality paper, and durable Smithsonian binding befitting a preacher's most valuable tool. Learn more at crossway.org. And last month, I was provided with one of these Bibles. I've been using it for a month and absolutely loving it. You can sign up for the giveaway in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to welcome back a guest that's been on before. I'm looking forward to talking about his new book and the positive reception of it, the negative reception of it. I get to talk to a man that's not controversial at all, Adam Robles. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, how's it going, man? Going well. How are you? Hey, Glad good. to be here, man. Good. Yeah, you're you're kind of in that vein of making everybody happy all of the time. Yeah, and that's so, what I always thought. <laughs> right, right. So I'm excited to have you on because I want everybody else just to be happy with me. So I thought, what better guest could I get than AD Robles? Yeah, so. absolutely. I'm glad to be here and um, <laughs> hopefully bring no controversy whatsoever to this this podcast. <laughs> you know, I always when I it depends on who I interview, I've noticed that I've had in my show, I've had a few negative uh, ratings on my for my podcast. Mm. And it usually comes right after interviewing somebody that that a lot of people don't like. And <laughs> and there won't be a review. It'll just be a rating. And so I usually get a bump in listeners. But then I also get a couple negative reviews that, that come with that. But uh, it's OK. Yeah, man, it's just part of it. But uh, why don't we go and pray, and then we'll talk about your book, Social Justice Pharisees. We'll talk about CRT stuff, and then we'll also talk about some vaccine stuff at the end. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. That sounds great. Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for a brother. Uh, because of what you've done for us in Christ Jesus, we are united as, as brothers. I thank you for, for Adam and all that you've done through him and all that you are doing through him. Thank you for his family and and uh, we just uh, trust you're going to continue to work through us. I pray this conversation goes well, honors you, and is helpful for people. Um, we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think most of the guys that are listening in know you. Most of the pastors that are going to be listening to this have dealt with CRT. They had the mm. conversation many, many a times. It, it, even at this point, it may feel like it's beating a dead horse kind of conversation, but it is still very, very significant. And in a lot of ways, I think we're still on the front end, even though the I conversation, agree. yeah, a lot of front end of this on, on, on how long this is going to be drawn out over the years and what may be coming down the line. But I'd love for you to just frame up your book, Social Justice Pharisees, what led you to write the book, and then tell us a little bit about it so we can send people to buy it. And then after that, I just want to ask you some questions about, you know, about the work and then about how it's been received and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as far as, you know, why I wrote it, um, you know, I, I, I've been doing YouTube videos about the social justice controversy in the church for a few years now. And, um, you know, the kind of videos that I do are, you know, I prepare a little bit of what I want to talk about. Sometimes I'll put some bullet points on a piece of paper, but most of the time, you know, most of what I say, is just kind of 
off the top of my head. And, um, and that's just, I, I think I do better that way uh, and all of that, but, but there are some downsides because um, there's not going to be very many videos where th- it's just the one topic and it's a quick hit. So the, they're not as organized as they could be. And so um, the book is an attempt to put my thoughts on the key issues in an organized way it's very similar to the content I put online, but it's intended to be a little bit more organized and something that you could hand to, you know, a person or a pastor or a friend that's that's kind of working through some of these issues. So um, I toned down the rhetoric a little bit, um, but it's still my personality. So it's intended to be safe, you know, for kind of dis- distribution, if you know what I mean. Not that not that I think my YouTube channel isn't, but you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to send my YouTube channel to like a little old lady or something, <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. So, um, but it, that's what, that's why I wrote it. I, I wrote it to be organized, hitting on the key issues and um, something that you could just hand to anybody and, you know, make sure that, 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 that they would be willing to hear it. You know what I mean? Right. Very good. Very good. Well, I mean, the need is there. I think even down to a local level, I was sitting with a group of pastors, just a local assembly of pastors that were coming together. We brought in the state association guy from Illinois and it was guys in their 60s and 70s pastoring small country churches. Yeah. And even in that room, they're having the conversation of CRT. It has gotten all yeah. the way down to rural areas and pockets throughout the country yes. where three years ago you would say CRT and people would wonder, what in the what are you talking about? And mm. then today, these guys are, are talking about it in a way that you can tell they've thought through this. They've, they've understood yeah. the implications of this. And so it's become pretty pervasive. And you started talking about this pretty early on sure. and, you know, calling this out pretty early on. And I know you've re- received a lot of pushback. I- I'm wondering mm. what, what's been the difference between the response from your videos and the book? Have you noticed any difference? Yeah. I mean, the book's a little bit more polished then it's, it's better to give to that grandma. So has yeah. there been a difference in how the, the two have been re- received? Good question. And what's interesting about this is, you know, you've mentioned CRT, critical race theory, a number of times here. And actually, I didn't. I don't even mention CRT in the book, although of course it's all about these topics. Right. Um, but I, I sidestepped the sort of technical critical race theory definitions. In fact, the only time I even mention the word critical race theory is when I'm quoting somebody else, um, and that was intentional because, you know, critical race theory is in our vernacular right now, but many of the people that have the objectionable ideas in the church aren't going to be openly saying, oh yeah, I'm a critical race theorist. There, there oh, are some, good. there are some, but, but, but very few, most people are going to just going to present these ideas of a systemic oppression and whiteness and white privilege, stuff like that. And they don't even know where they really come from. They just say it and they're teaching it and they're teaching things that I would label critical race theory, even without accepting it or acknowledging it. So, right. so that's why I did that to make it sort of like, it's really about the issues, not so much what you call it. That's or the good. system itself. Now, as far as the, your question, though, is for the difference in response, um, there's really been most of the people who have the book right now are people that like my content because it's only available through me right now. It doesn't officially release. Um, actually, the digital copy releases next month, but the physical copy officially releases in December. So if you have a physical copy, you got it through me. I can purchase them now and I can sell them now. So most people who have them already like my content. So it's been a very right. warm reception in that regard. Um, some people <laughs> have the book or at least were sent the book that don't really like me. And I've had a few instances where I've had books returned to sender uh, from certain you know, pastors 
Um, I've had people just completely reject the, the, the free gift of my book, um, you know, in bombastic sort of ways. And, uh, I just had my first criticism written that I've ever seen. Somebody shared this with me. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but somebody apparently has been tweeting about my book and they're very offended that my citations are mostly YouTube videos, tweets, and, uh, and blog posts. They, they said that I, I obviously don't read books or something like that. I need to start reading a book because I don't cite a lot of books in there. And and I thought that was a pretty weird criticism, but Hey, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, And the the graphic they use has all my citations on it. And so they, they probably put some effort into snapping them and, and, and putting them all together. Very, very very interesting. Um, But yeah, I haven't really had too much negative pushback at all from the book because I just don't think too many people who don't like me have read it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, here, here's what I want to do. I, I mean, it's mostly pastors listening in and I want them to be encouraged. And really, I want to be, be encouraged in, in a couple different ways. To do pastoral ministry the right way is going mm-hmm. to bring, especially in 20, 2020 and 2021, if you've not gotten any op- opposition whatsoever, yeah. it's probably because you're not being faithful in pastoral ministry. So if mm-hmm. you are being faithful in pastoral ministry, you're getting voices from, from one yes. side, you're getting encouragement and discouragement, and it's all around you. Yeah. And so I, what I would really like to encourage these guys with is I want to hear a couple stories of, of a negative reception from the work or even from the videos. And mm-hmm. you don't have to drop names if you don't want to, but just yeah, say, yeah. okay, here, here's some negative, you know, just, I mean, straight up uh, criticism that was just, you know, crazy. And then yeah. here's something that is really great. Some fruit from this work, fruit from the work where pastors were encouraged and really they realized, man, I'm going down this social justice road and it is mm-hmm. not healthy and they get turned around and they're just ready to hear, you know, thus saith the Lord, what has God had to say about this? And yeah. they're ready to go in that direction because of how God has used you. So kind of give yeah. those two different, you know, polarities of, of responses to encourage these guys with. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so yeah, I, I've definitely received various amounts of pushback on, on content and, and some of it has been, you know, valid, you know, criticisms of me and others has, has been very invalid. Um, and so I would agree with you, with you, Jared, that no matter what, if, if you're actually preaching and teaching what God actually says, someone's going to take issue with it. And someone's going to be upset about it. Um, and, and, you know, my videos, if you watch them, they, they sometimes can have a more ag- aggressive tone to them. And sometimes I'll get criticized for that. And, but I don't want pastors who are listening to this to think that that's what the real issues are. It, it is not. Um, and one example that I'll use is recently, um, you know, I, I've done tons of videos ripping how ridiculous reparations, the idea of reparations are. They're anti-biblical. They're, they're against God's law. They actually overturn God's law um, in, in the way that they're talked about today. And I've done many videos ripping that. Um, but Kevin DeYoung, a pastor who is known for his very winsome tone, very nuanced, very measured in how he speaks, I don't think anyone would criticize his tone in any way. Um, he wrote a couple of articles about a book regarding reparations and how it's how it's Christian, and, and he was criticizing that, saying how it wasn't it wasn't really a, a, a biblical case. Okay. And and he you know in his normal way, just very measured, calm, you know, thoughtful. And he was almost immediately uh, criticized as uh, essentially practicing white supremacy. Um, wow. he's because wow. he opposed reparations that he claimed they were the, the, the people in the article. This was Greg Thompson and Duke Kwan who wrote the article said he's claiming to be doing theology. He claims to have theological problems with this, but really this is a cultural thing. And it's really, it's white supremacy is what it is. Hmm. Um, 
And, and so it doesn't matter if you're nice about it and measured. It doesn't matter if you do videos where you're a little more aggressive. You're going to get pushback if you're teaching faithfully here. Um, I had one, one time I had a lady accuse me of being for sex trafficking, which is a pretty, pretty outrageous accusation, right? So she, she better have some good evidence for it. I won't name drop this lady because she's a former alleged sex abuse victim. And so she's a broken woman one way or the other. Right. Um, but anyway, um, the reason she said this is because I said that the Bible, uh, if you read it, um, does not blanket condemn all slavery. Mm-hmm. I said, it's just very clear. I mean, you can't deny that the scriptures, while slavery might not be ideal, it doesn't say it should be completely outlawed, right? Um, it does say that kidnapping is a, a, a death penalty offense. So it definitely right. says that. But slavery itself. So that's what I said, you know, very, I mean, the basic case. I mean, you don't have to be a, a, an exegete to know that the Bible teaches that. And because that was so outrageous to this woman, she started accusing me of being for sex trafficking. So she started wow. sending me pictures of, of women who had supposedly been branded by their sex traffickers and stuff like that. I know that kind of stuff happens. I don't deny that. But um, that's the kind of pushback I got from teaching something totally unrelated to sex trafficking, by the way. It's about slavery. And so she was so scandalized by that that she started accusing me of these horrible things that I do not believe. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be clear, uh, it, it, sex traffickers ought to be given the death penalty if they're convicted. That's what I believe. But yet somehow this woman was so scandalized by correct, accurate teaching on slavery that she said these awful things about me. That, that's mm-hmm. the kind of pushback you'll you'll receive from some of these people. Yeah. And in pastoral ministry, if you've not received that before, somebody twisting words or yes. being confused and then, uh, you know, coming to you and saying that you're saying things that you're not actually saying. Yeah. then again, you're not there's something off here because given enough time. As you're yes. preaching God's word faithfully and saying things, it's interesting because uh, that you use the master slave or the slave uh, analogy here. We just did a deacon installation service Sunday. And one of the things I talked about is that the household and the church are, are always appealed to back and forth or interchangeable. Mm-hmm. The, the church That's is the right. house, household of God and the family of God. It's, it's all in familiar language. And within an ancient household and even in, within a Christian household, there was the master and the servant. And even in Christianity, there is some sort of dignity in being called a slave of our master Jesus. There's so, there's something right. there redeemable to be able to use to describe and identify a Christian. So I am a child of God, but I am also a slave of my master Jesus. And if you want to get woke about it, I am a joyful, willing slave of a Middle Eastern man. You know, so that's yes, either yes. like <laughs> really woke or not one of the two. I don't know. Sure. Um, but that language and you know, fortunately I didn't get any pushback from that, but if I was just to blast that, that same statement that I made on Sunday at the commissioning service on Facebook, I can imagine just getting a bombarded with, uh, you know, negative feedback. And And it'll it'll be from believers and unbelievers. I mean, of course, unbelievers don't understand anything about the word of God. So you're going to get pushback from them, but also believers will, there's a lot of people that have been, uh, taught very poorly and, um, they'll get really emotional when they hear accurate teaching. And so that, that does tend to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, if, if anything red pilled me, it was the end of 2018 and it was preaching through Mark chapter nine. And I was preaching a sermon. It was a, kind of a gap series between, uh, one, I forget, we were going to like Genesis or something. And then we were jumping from Genesis to something else. And so we did a quick, uh, just kind of a gap series. And I was in Mark chapter nine and we were talking about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And at the end of that passage, 
at the end of that passage, we're told, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him before my heavenly yeah. father and before the holy angels. And that so struck me, Adam, that we don't have the option of being embarrassed about what God has to say. And, mm-hmm. and if you look at the slide of liberalism, but with any main, mainline denomination, with any individual who's deconstructed, the seed of that, the seed of yes. that deconstruction starts with embarrassment over particular passages. That's where liberalism always yes. begins. And so yes. pastors have to be willing to speak prophetically to what's going on with social justice and racial reconciliation to say, thus saith the Lord, or they end up in a place that they never thought they would be five years down the road. Yes, I, I, I agree with you completely. That's that's the that, that's where liberalism starts when you start to be embarrassed about what the God, the, the word of God says. And I just did a, a conversation with Ruslan KD. He's another YouTuber, um, much more popular than I am. And I consider him a liberal uh, Christian. And um, one of the things that I found so interesting about that conversation, which, by the way, if anyone wants to go to it, you know, we can link to it. Um, it was a, it was a weird conversation. No question about it. Um, but anyway, the, 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 one of the, one of the, one of the key moments, I think I was, I had, I had accused him of being for women elders and I was mistaken about that. Okay. He said, I'm not for women elders. And so I was very confused because I knew he had some kind of errant belief about female elders. Right. But I, I got it wrong. Cause he's just flatly denying it to me. So I said, okay. And I kind of left it alone for a bit, but I, I knew I was, I, there was something there. So I asked him. According to the scripture, I said, do you believe, Ruslan, that women should preach or, or teach or exercise authority over a man? Because that's a that's a Bible verse. Right. So I figured, mm-hmm. OK, I've got him now. I, he, he can't wiggle out of this one. I, right. I accused him of something wrongly, but now I'll bring the Bible to him. And he said, no, I don't believe women should exercise authority over a man. And uh, um, I, I didn't catch it at the time. But if you notice, I left out the first part, teaching mm-hmm. men. Okay. So he left out the first part and he said it in a way that at the time confused me because I was like, okay, so he's my, my brain autocorrected it to, to okay. have the whole verse. Right. And so, but again, I knew that he had had some errant beliefs. And so I just, at one point I just asked him, so do you believe that women should teach men on Sunday? Like I just kind of got frustrated at, at one point and just said it like that. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh yeah, you know, they can, as long as they're under the authority of their pastor or whatever, you know how, you know what they say, right. stupid right. stuff like that. And so I finally caught him in the liberal belief. Right. But it's not so much, that's not really that important. What's important to me is why did it take me questioning him five, six, seven times? I had an, and essentially I had to trap him in yeah. order for him to tell me what he believed. Right. Right. I, I just don't think that way. Cause if I know what somebody's driving at, I'm not ashamed of what God's word says, yeah, even if good. other people are upset about it. And so it's just, it's bizarre to me that I had to trap him in order to get him to admit what he believes. Mm-hmm. And he used like weasel tactics of only, you know, I asked him a question. He answered half my question, but left out the first part because he knows that the first part, if he says it, people are going to you know think he's liberal, right? which he is. But that it's just so bizarre. You know, someone just, you know, today is starting to is it wrote an article about me saying how it's bad that I um, believe that, you know, people who commit perjury should have the penalty that they sought to do to the other person done to them. I'm not ashamed of that. Like, yeah, that's what the word of God says. So we, we shouldn't take perjury lightly. We should take yeah. it as seriously as how God takes it. So like I, I, people think that they've got me in these traps, but it's like, well, I, I'm actually not ashamed of what I think the word of God says here. You know what I mean? Right. That's a key. You yeah. can't have any problem passages. 
Yeah, that's very good. And if you don't have any problem passages, you get accusations like this. Well, you're just a theonomist, you crazy weirdo. <laughs> it's like, right, right. All right. Sign right. me up. Sign me up. That, that's right. I mean, I am if, if, if it means that, you know, I take the, the, the word of God seriously in these matters, then fine, whatever. I mean, call me whatever you want. You know, a lot of times we'll get, oh, you're a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. As if it's bad to be, you know, you know, clear where God is clear. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's really good. Uh, not bad. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> yeah, embracing whatever labels are thrown my way if it means that you think I'm taking the word of God seriously and literally, and and how it should be intended to be taken, depending upon where it's coming from from God's word. If that makes me a fundamentalist, you know, sign me up for that too. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Um, all right. So there's some negative responses. What about some positive responses? So tell us uh, some good stories that you've heard that was like, man, yeah. God, God used you, AD. I appreciate it, man. If it wasn't for how God used you, I don't know where I'd be today. And I'm so thankful yeah. because, you know, we need to hear stories like that because we've got friends, we've got family members that are so caught up into social justice. And it's like, you, you, you're having conversations with people and we, we've got a guy at our church. He's like, man, Jared, liberalism really is a mental illness. It's just a, yeah. it's just a mental illness. It's just a totally different way of thinking. Yes. And, and yet I've talked to people who have said, man, I'm so thankful and I'm totally different now through just a yeah. few conversations. So I want to hear some good stories about, about what you've been doing. Yeah. There, there's just so many, you know, people email me, people send me, I have a PO box as well that I use, you know, here's, this is a, a note. I'm not going to show the name, but you know, people send me little notes like this, just to encourage me how, how I've impacted their lives. But the one I always think of is a man named Edwin Ramirez. And actually I just had a chance to meet Edwin Ramirez this past week. I was driving to my father's house and he happened to live along the way. So we, our families met up for a little bit. And um, his, the story, the reason I always think of him is because he, he was woke, right? He was, he was as woke as they come, which was a problem because, you know, he has a white wife. And so Wow. That's pretty yeah. weird to be like, well, you know, you just got white fragility. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you would say that to his wife, but it's weird to have beliefs like that about white people when you're married to a white woman. Yeah. So that's that's a potential problem. But in any case, the dude was woke as woke could be. And, you know, someone showed him my content and we're both Puerto Ricans, you know, um, and someone showed him my content and, you know, things just started clicking. And I think that he appreciated sort of the direct kind of straightforward approach. I think he appreciated some of the, um, I don't want to call them threats because I'm not threatening anybody, but like, Hey guys, this is like, this is not something you can trifle with. Like God will destroy you. If you bring this kind of division into his church, like you don't get to mess around like this. I mm-hmm. think that Edwin appreciated a lot of that. And you'd have to talk to him exactly what it was about, uh, about my content that, that really, uh, appealed to him. But, you know, he kind of, the climax of this, he said one day he was at church and they're singing, you know, a hymn or whatever. And he kind of looks around and he sees this old white lady in the front singing to God and, and he's singing to God. And it just kind of clicked like, that's my people right there. It's not white people, but Christians, like regardless of color, like that's my sister. That's I'm, that's my people. That's that goes deeper than skin color. That goes deeper than nonsense like like skin color. I mean, I can't think of a more barbarian thing to to be, you know, tribaling up again with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for and, and it just clicked with him. Like, this is I can't be dividing the body of Christ like this. I have unity with that woman, that old lady, that old white lady who who knows? Maybe maybe her ancestors were racist. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my people. Yeah. And um, you know, saying saying this in a straightforward way that really kind of 
I try to emphasize the gravity of this situation. That I think uh, resonates with a lot of people. And also what I've noticed when people say that I've, I've, I've helped them, it's usually I've helped them to realize they're not crazy. Like mm-hmm. they all kind of knew this stuff was wrong, but all their leaders are teaching it. You know, all the big guys, you know, Matt Chandler, David Platt, they're all teaching it. So they felt like maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe this, it, maybe this is what heretics feel like. You know what I mean? But they're <laughs> not. Right you're not crazy. The, the teaching is wrong. Even though these teachers are people that taught you the gospel and they preach the gospel well in other places, they're wrong about this. You're not crazy. Yeah. Amen. That's very good. A couple of years ago, we were, so we're, we're, our church used to be, we planted and started in the Sojourn Network, which used to be a part of Acts 29. And then they changed their name to Harbor Network. Well, we left the network at the beginning of this year for various reasons. We had like four bullet points of why we're leaving the network or five and just laid laid that out there for them and it was for some of these reasons social justice issues and different approaches to several different things but one of the things that i which struck me as odd is we were at a sojourn retreat in florida a couple years back is in naples florida beautiful i mean that was the big big deal about being a part of the network because they took you down and they treated i mean it was a really amazing thing to go down and be a part of the pastors and wives retreat but as we were there you have all these people and supposedly all this um, division that's happening within evangelicalism, which would have been represented in that room, you know, white people, black people, people from all over the place. And we were singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I remember thinking like, what? We're all singing this. Everybody in this room, this is so clearly what unites us. Why is it so hard? This is clearly what unites us as brothers. And as we're singing this together, nobody's like thinking anything or, or looking at each other and saying, you owe me, or looking at each other and saying, you're less than. Nobody's thinking that at That's all. Right. And it's such an you easy have to you have answer. to import that. You, you have to import that from somewhere else because mm-hmm. you're not going to find that in the scriptures. Yeah. You're not going to find that um, in, 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 in the New Testament or the Old Testament. You've got to bring that division in. And that's it's it's division in its purest sense. You know, I've read in my book, I, 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 I quoted Thibidi Anyabwile. It was a like a two page quote, but I had to put the whole thing in there because I was scared that if I just summarized it, people wouldn't believe me what it said because it's mm-hmm. so outrageous. But in 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 the tweet, it's a long quote where he's talking to his allies. So people that are already woke, okay. he's not like this is not his enemies. This is his allies that that they want to identify with him and, and they call him a brother in Christ. Right. And he's taking issue with that. If you can believe that he's saying I that's not the unity we need right now. I need you to identify with my skin color. And he says in there, if I have to choose, this is a, a, a pastor, for goodness sake, if I have to choose between my identity in Christ and my identity as a black man right now, well, I got to choose black because my life, if my life depends on it. And it, it, I couldn't believe that. And it's like, I remember saying the Bible saying that, that if you it, it, like, pick up your cross and follow. That's the death march, right? So if you have to choose between identity in Christ or your life, you better choose identity in Christ. Yeah. Amen. But amen. I don't even believe that anyway. It's all fake anyway. It's, it's not life or death for him. That's, 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 he's exaggerating, but even if it was that you still got to choose identity in Christ. Yeah. Amen. So this is no small thing. Like, like that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. I and mean, what does Christ say? He says, if you do not hate your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your wife, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Like that, that's pretty clear. So yes, you, you have to actually reject your black. If, if, if you had to choose between your black skin and Christ, 
you would be forced to reject your black skin in order to be Christ's disciple. Yeah. You don't have to choose, but if you did, that's what Christ teaches. Yeah, I mean, and Ronnie Byrne should know better. I mean, he really should know better yes. because he does know in better. pastoral, he does. And people like LeBron James and LeBron saying that we're scared to go out, you know, as black men, we're scared to walk outside in the streets as as literally white kids all over the country are wearing his jersey and wanting to be him for the last 20 years. And you you kind of it's like, OK, that's LeBron. <laughs> he has no theological framework. Right. You, you, it's, you it's LeBron. It. Just whatever. Yeah. You know, he's crazy. Just all right. It's LeBron. Right. But when the beady says it, you're wondering where where was this? It, this, this is not the same Thabiti that maybe it is that was preaching yeah. seven, eight years, 10 years ago at Together for the Gospel, or maybe it is and we just didn't know it. And yeah. uh, that's that's been so exposed. I mean, people have not been able to hide anymore. I mean, they're, they're just exposed. And so it's so sad to hear people like Thabiti and yeah. uh, Mr. Burns say that, uh, which I still don't understand why why he goes by Thabiti. It's a shame. It's a real shame. And, and, and again, like, it's not like one of these agree to disagree, no big deal, you know, not essential. I mean, you know, I, I quoted, I did quote a few books, believe, uh, believe it or not, Jared, in my, in my book, okay. I did quote a few. And one of the, one of them was the Institutes of, uh, of the Christian religion by Calvin. And Calvin says that, that, that the, the unity that we have in Christ, like, like being part of Christ's body, that's essential. Like that is, that is, that is, Christianity, like in a nutshell, like if you don't have unity in Christ, if the body doesn't have unity, what does it have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, right. and, you know, you might want to quibble with that quotation, but I, I definitely think that this kind of unity is, is one of those essential doctrines that we ought to hold fast to. And um, so this is no small, this is not small potatoes here. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely, man. All right. So switch gears a little bit. It seems like the social justice crowd and the, the, the type of people that you're writing about in your book, they also seem, <laughs> we're going to talk vaccines here in a little bit and COVID and masks. There seems to be a group of people that really love COVID. Now I say that <laughs> offhand, not, not love it in the sense they realize yes. that people are dying, but they just really like it. And I don't know if they like it because of the schedule that brings them or the out that it gives them to not do what they don't want to do or something. But there's a group of people that just get, it seems like gets giddy about it, that really enjoys it. And they really are excited about the vaccine and wanting to share oh, yeah. the vaccine and, and big Eva in general has had a weird approach to the vaccine and even the network that I used to be a part of, the, the flagship church of that network set up vaccine stations at their church building. And, mm-hmm. you know, we could, uh, you know, without getting into untested vaccines, without getting into abortion cell lines and each of the three vaccines, without, without getting into any of that, uh, it just seems to me a weird thing that the love your neighbor crowd, the social justice crowd really loves vaccines and COVID as well. Do you, th- what, what do you think the connection there is? If any, let's think out that loud a, bit, a little bit, because I think they're somehow related and maybe we'll be able yeah. to see how they're related more in time, but I think there are some connections there. Yeah, I I've, so you're right. There definitely are connections there. And I've been thinking a little bit about this because of a presentation that I need to prepare for, um, for the upcoming fight, laugh, feast conference. And the presentation is about woke capitalism, which that's a really weird statement because cap, woke, wokeness isn't capitalistic. So right, that's, that's a right. contradiction in terms here. But um, I think that the woke stuff that's permeating our culture <clears throat> and it's being presented by every institution, you know, whether it's, you know, the politicians, whether it's sports, whether, you know, whatever it is, the church is now bringing it in as well. 
one of the things that's fundamental about it is it's very, very um, pro-government, pro-big government, because what it's hoping to, to happen is they want the government to fix all this alleged racism, all these inequalities, whatever. Um, they want the government to be able to address them and fix them and redistribute money. And every solution has the government involved, whether it's reparations, whether it's you know quotas, whatever it is. So it's very pro-government. It's very status, very central planning. Uh, mm -hmm. Central planning is, uh, you know, we, we ought to be able to engineer things the way we want. So if there's not enough blacks in, I don't know, say software engineering, for example, well, central planners can make it so that there's enough blacks in software engineering. Um, and I think that the vaccines are very similar. They're, they're very like, it's a tool used by the big government. It's a tool used by central planners. They think there's a group of people out there that think that they know better than everybody. They know better than you. Yeah. They know better than right. me. They know what's good for society more than society knows. And so they will push the vaccine because that's how they provide health for you. And you, if you don't want the vaccine, you're too stupid to figure out that you need it. So the central planners know. Wokeness is the same idea. You see, we're too stupid to know that we need to have 20% of the software engineering population be African-Americans mm. or you know, 50% of them to be women. We're too stupid to figure that out. So they're going to force it on us and they can they can do that. They can actually make it so that it's even Stevens or whatever the case may be. And so fundamental to all of this stuff, it, what ties it all together is this idea that we can plan. Uh, we can have a group of, of learned men and, and women, I guess, <laughs> plan a better, more equitable, more moral society. And I don't think that's the, the system that God presents. I think God's system is a, a pro-freedom system. Uh, God's law, if you notice, he says things that you can't do, like you can't murder, you can't steal, you can't bear false witness. But the good thing about that is that that allows for a lot of freedom. So as long mm -hmm. as you're doing something that um, with your own stuff, that you can do that. So there's a lot of freedom to do things with you. So you have private property, but you can't steal others. That, that's right. one thing you can't do. So um, I think that it's all really a, a political um, governmental tie-in. It, it's all connected to this big, all-powerful government that can make our lives better. The vaccine's part of that. The wokeness is part of that. And economics is part of that as well. Yeah, agreed. So what's it going to take for pastors to not sell out, to square their shoulders, face yeah. the opposition they're facing with social justice, with vaccine mandates and government overlords and medical tyrants and all of that, all of the above, what's it going to take the rest of 2021 going into the fall season, into the winter, uh, and for the next five years with the growing assault of social justice and with a growing number of, of big, I mean, big evangelicalism yes. and even former, I mean, reformed evangelicalism going more egalitarian, going more woke, what's it going yep. to take for pastors yep. to be resolved, to be faithful to the Lord and not sell out? Okay, there's two things that I, that I think every churchman should do and um, pastors, elders, even congregants. The first thing is to take a good look in the mirror and recognize the state that we're in because a good percentage of us, I'm not going to say all of us, but a good percentage of us did not meet for church for months because the government told us not to. That's we need to be realistic with ourselves on that. That is a sorry state of affairs. They have no authority to do what they did. And you had no authority to comply with that order. None. Because God Amen. told you to meet on Sunday. So regardless of what the government says, 
whatever authority they claim to have, you had no right to shut down your church for months or even one Sunday for that matter. Now, take a, that's the first step. You got to realistically appraise your situation. We're in a sorry state right now. That's it. Second thing is we need to revisit the fundamentals, the foundations, because why did people close down their churches, right? Did they just decide to be unreasonable? No, they, they thought it sounded reasonable. Well, there's a very dangerous pandemic. You know, yeah, maybe we should close down. You know, one of the, th- the first things that uh, I, 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 <laughs> I found myself disagreeing with Doug Wilson early on, and luckily I turned out on the, the good end of that, which I didn't expect to happen. But um, he made the case that like, well, you know, like if, if there's a fire in your church and the fire department comes and says, you got to evacuate, there's a fire in your church, that you have to comply. That's their jurisdiction. I thought that was a very weird comparison because in a fire i'm not listening to them i'm just leaving because i don't want to be burned in the fire you know what i mean like they don't have the authority to kick me out but i better get out because there's a fire (laughs) you know what i mean so but the thing is so that's why we closed down it sounded reasonable right but then we remained closed making these very weird arguments giving caesar all this authority we need to revisit the foundations and and what i mean by that is recognize what the government is for, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, and what your job actually is, and then being inflexible on that. And what I mean by that is you have to hold those foundations no matter what. No flexibility. You have no authority to tell me what to do. Mm. That's it. And then and then if, 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 if we have that, when the emotions are running high, right? Because this is why I think it happened. Most pastors haven't had to consider this. Because when's the last time we were told to close down? We've never been told to close down, right? Right, right. So, so the emotions were running high. We were scared. So we closed down. But if you now we've learned, our, we have to have learned our lesson now. We got to get the foundations right. So that way, when the emotions are running high and we're trying to think of what to do, we've already thought through the fact that the government requ- it has no authority over the church. God requires us to, to be worshiping, to lay hands on the sick. For goodness sake, we shut our doors because of sickness when we're required to actually lay hands on the sick. Yeah. So, so, so that's what we got to do. We got to recognize and, and, and appraise our situation. We're in a sad state. And then revisit the fundamentals. So that way the next time, because they're going to ratchet up the fear again. Maybe they're doing it with the Delta variant. Maybe it'll be something else. Maybe it'll be a war. Who knows what it'll be. But we got to be we got to prepare ourselves for the the emotions to run high because when we're trying to scramble for what our foundations foundational beliefs are when we're scared or or sad or something that's when we make mistakes yeah so that's what i would think we just need to revisit these foundational things what is the church even i mean praise god some men are doing this i mean i have no sympathy for jonathan lehman but i heard that he put out a pretty decent uh video about how zoom church is not real church well, yeah, that's what I was saying all along. It's not, yeah. we closed down. We didn't have church. So, so hopefully men will take that and say, okay, I <laughs> abdicated my responsibility for four months, six months, eight months. I mean, God forbid people are still not meeting some of some people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a mistake and I'll never do it again. Yeah, and now good. Actually, and out, you have to actually follow through though. Cause that's the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff, man. So helpful. So helpful. Full agreement. A hearty amen and yes from me. Um, all right. There are st- there are sadly still some churches not meeting, and I just can't even like like those pastors should be fired immediately. They like, should be run out of town. I mean, they're not doing what God told them to do, and it's just unbelievable. Look, look if you if you if you believe that the government has the power to close down your church, you'll believe anything. 
Yeah, I mean, for real. There's just nothing Christian about that. You worship yep. the state. Yeah, and the problem, you know, I said this a lot last year, but obedience to God is sacrificed on the altar of public witness. So when the chief concern, fundamental problem is we have a missiological center rather than a doxological center. And so we want people to be happy with us more than we want to honor God. And so churches that have stayed closed down, they are so consumed with, they think evangelism is getting people to like them and to, to compel them to pay attention to the message. And so they're going to disobey God because that's their chief central aim is mission instead yep. of honoring the Lord. So sac- so they will literally sacrifice obedience on the altar of public witness. Please just everybody just like, we got to, we got to keep this relational capital. And I think that's what you saw all over and over again last year and into this year. And it's very sad. Absolutely. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I have a church, I go to a church that did close down for, uh, I don't know, six weeks, maybe eight weeks. I don't remember exactly. And I supported it at the time. Um, but I, I would never support it again. And I made a mistake at the time and my pastors recognize, well, you know, at least the ones I've talked to recognize it was a mistake and we'll never close again. And the thing is like, we're not all blameless here, right? Like, like if, if, if God forbid my church closes down again, I'm going to show up (laughs) and I'm going to show up and I'm going to figure, we're going to, we're going to have church some one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to call my pastor. Like I'm here, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. You know what I mean? And I know that some of them are down for church either way. Um, but, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this, man. We're, we're all responsible for our own decisions here. You know what I mean? Nobody's blameless. Yeah, you're right. We, we closed for two weeks, but my family was at the church building both of those weeks. And then we did the outdoor service for about four or five weeks, I think. And then we went back and we had another faithful church in town that we get to stand with that uh, mm-hmm. is very similar. They're a, a CREC church and we've really partnered with them. And, and we're about the only churches in town that are, I mean, there are other faithful churches, but uh, um, there's not many and they've stood with us and we've made some of the exact same decisions. And so it, it is a thing where we'll never, we wish we would have never closed down. We will yep. never close down again. And that, that line is drawn in the sand. Um, all right. Hey man, time goes quick and we're having a good conversation. Go and tell us, say people don't know you and they're like, man, this has been a really great conversation. Where can they find your stuff? Uh, Tell us about the fight left feast conference. I wish I could go right down the road from us. We can't go, but tell us, tell us about all that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you can go to my website, adrobles.com, and it's, it's really just a website. If you want to buy my book or if you want to contact me, you can, you can do that. I don't post any blogs or anything like that, but it's adrobles.com. Um, so that's the first thing. And then um, I'm also on YouTube for now. Uh, you know, who knows how long I'll be there, but I'm on YouTube. You can type in AD Robles to find me. And um, I'm on Gab as well, gab.com. You can type in AD Robles to find me there as well. And the conference, uh, yeah, we have a, a, a conference, a bunch, me and a bunch of other podcasters are going to be there. Uh, Doug Wilson will be there. Uh, Vody Bauckham is, is speaking. Should be a good time. And um, that is coming up. Man, what is the date on that. I should know this. It's uh Thursday, September 9th, and it goes for three days. So awesome. uh, that's in, that's in uh, Tennessee, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, it's, you can go to fight flfnetwork.com and uh, it's called the politics of sex conference. That's the topic. It should be a good time. Good deal. Well, we've been talking to Adam Robles. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here.